welcome back with Body Talk with Bex, and Happy New Year, everyone. It has officially been one full year of the podcast. I started this back in January of 2022, so we've come full circle. Thank you so much for listening, and to kick things off for the new year, I have a wonderful interview with a woman named Brittany Freeman. She also has bladder extrophy, and I absolutely love talking with her and hearing about her experiences and what she's done with them since. And we do talk about a lot of different things that I haven't defined yet, and so I do wanna talk about one of them, We mentioned an ectopic pregnancy, which I know many of you are probably familiar with, but I did want to just go ahead and give an overview of what that is for maybe the handful of you out there who don't know what that is. So an ectopic pregnancy happens when a fertilized egg implants outside of the uterus. Most commonly, it will happen in the fallopian tube which is not made to hold or stretch and grow with the fetus so this condition can lead to internal bleeding and it can also be life-threatening for the mother so it's very important to get handled as soon as you find out that that's what it is and if it's not caught in time the fallopian tube can actually burst while the egg is developing And that's really the only thing that I wanted to define. If anyone has any questions what a fistula is or what Ativan is, please feel free to let me know and I can define them in the next episode. I feel like those are two things that are fairly well defined during the episode itself. So with that, let's just jump right on in and meet with Brittany. You were born with bladder extrophy. That's also what I was born with. Do you know if your parents yes. knew ahead of time? They did not know ahead of time. They were told by the ultrasound that I was going to be a boy. My mom always said that she knew I wasn't a boy the whole time she was pregnant, that I was going to be a girl. But she that was what her intuition told her. But up until the day that I was born, I was told I was going to be a boy because they just really couldn't see on the ultrasound. And then I was also told that they, at first they were like, I don't know if it's a boy or a girl. We can't tell because of the birth defect. And this was in 1988. So it was always back there. <laughs> so they didn't know ahead of time. So it was, it was pretty big shock. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine. Have they ever kind of like told you what happened when you were born? Yeah. So the story is that my mom went into labor and apparently it wasn't too terrible of a labor that she had me. And immediately after she had me, she could tell by the look on the nurses and doctor's face that something wasn't right, but they weren't telling her anything. And, you know, obviously that's terrifying. Um, I can only imagine how scary that would be. So that she was like, asked, you know, is it a boy or a girl? What, what, what's wrong? Basically, 
And they were like, well, we're not sure. The baby has some sort of birth defect. It looks like the bladder is on the outside of the body. And she was obviously upset because she was like, oh, it's just life threatening. And they're like, they didn't know. They literally told her, we don't know. And so then I know that was very scary for her. And so she said that she had what became my doctor as a child, my pediatrician, not a specialist, but he came in and he was like, oh, that's a girl. And this is bladder extrophy. And basically taught the OBGYN and the doctors as a pediatrician about what was going on here. And it's just classic bladder extrophy. So it wasn't as severe as it could have been, obviously, with like colloquial extrophy or any of the other levels that there are. But it was still pretty scary and I know that now they do the surgeries very soon, mm-hmm. but I actually had to have my bladder outside of my body until I was eight months old. Whoa. Yeah. So my mom had to care for it and put saran wrap over me, over my stomach wow. to keep it sanitary. Yeah. So they literally like bubble wrapped me and saran wrap wow. um, to keep me sanitary. Yeah. Yeah. And then I was in, after from eight months, I had surgery and was in a body cast from my armpits to my ankles with a bar in between my knees. There's pictures. It's, it's comical now looking at it. Cause I'm like, how do they think of that? But at the time, I'm sure it was very scary for my parents, <laughs> but so literally I couldn't move the bottom half of my body for another eight months. So it was 16 months before I was out of the body cast. So it was a long drawn out process back then. Wow. That's, I can't imagine being your parents. That's so scary. Stressful. I can, I can only imagine how stressful that is. Yeah. That's a lot to take on too. I mean, caring for the bladder while it's still on the outside of the body. I mean, you're already, you know, having a newborn baby in itself is a lot of work and extra stress that you're not used to. And so having like that Mm -hmm. on top of it though, as well, Wow. Yeah. I am amazed though. And I think you're, you're kind of lucky that your pediatrician actually knew what bladder extrophy was and was able to recognize it. Yeah. Yeah. He, I guess, had some other patients. His his name was Dr. Mankata and he's from India. And I think when he came over from India before that, he actually had patients over there in Doctors Without Borders because he would go back and forth that had that. And so he had recognized it from other um, places. So he had, he had had other doctors that had seen it and dealt with it, but he going through it himself, it was something new, but he knew what to recognize and go and go through it. So he was my doctor until I was about 10 and started going to Dr. Crop in Oklahoma City. Okay. And he's, Dr. McConaughey just retired like, I want to say five years ago. So he, he was a, I felt like when I was a baby, he was old man but obviously he wasn't yeah (laughs) but we always feel like that right yeah definitely definitely and so the the doctor you started seeing when you were 10 was was he a specialist in bladder extrophy yeah so dr crop is a urology specialist and he specializes in all different types of birth defects with the bladder and kidneys and anything with the urinary system. But he, whenever I started seeing him, I had, I was really sick. It was really sick. I had been going through basically sepsis. I was getting septic. So because I'd have infection after infection after infection, because when I had my surgery at eight months old, 
the doctor that did it, which I don't even know the doctor's name that did the surgery. It was in Minneapolis, Minnesota at a hospital there. Doctor that did the surgery somehow put a hole between my bladder and my uterus and made a fistula there. So there was urine leaking into my bladder, but they also are from my bladder into my uterus. And so it scarred my uterus, which is why I don't have any children of my own. I have a adopted son, but I don't have any children of my own because of the scarring in my uterus and and other like situations. But with the ba- when I had the surgery as a baby and they put the that fistula was in there, the they also, and I don't think that they do this anymore, but at that time they figured that they would just close everything up bef- bef- below my urethra. And so I literally didn't have a vaginal opening for the urine that was getting collected in there to go out. And so, yeah, and it seems kind of wild now, like to think of them doing it that way. But when I was little and I would be in like dance and cheer and playing outside and things, I would be jumping around and it would literally shake this stuff out. And so then when I went to middle school or got started in the upper grades where we didn't go out as much and I just wasn't being as active and as busy outside all the time, it started to collect in my uterus and just sit there. And so that's why I became septic is because of sitting in there. And so I started getting sick and then I would, they would put me on antibiotics. I would get a little bit better. And as soon as the antibiotics like ran their course and I was off the antibiotics, I would immediately get sick again. And so I was going through that process of trying to fight it that way. And finally, um, Dr. Mankata said, okay, look, I don't think, I think this is a great type of a thing. And it sent me to Oklahoma City from an hour and 50 to 50 away um, to see Dr. Up, who is a specialist. And he looked me within three skin, figured it out used a um, intermittent catheter and kind of went past my bladder into my uterus and got all that stuff out. And I was better than a couple of days after him doing that. And so I did until I had my reconstruction surgery about a year later. Okay. And you had the reconstruction that hopefully fixed that hole so that you didn't have that anymore? Yes. Yeah. At 11, um, <laughs> and at 11 years old, I had the full reconstruction surgery and it was like, I want to say something, 15 hours of surgery. Wow. Uh, and they were brought in like movie cameras. Yeah. They brought in like movie cameras cause they had never before, um, with between the platter and doris. And so Dr. Prop was at OU at Oklahoma university children's hospital, obviously a teaching school. And wanted to make sure that it documented to be able to teach the students coming in about what was a possibility that could happen. And so they did the recording and got my parents permission to record. And they were very scared because obviously it had been hours upon hours upon hours. And then a helicopter lands. They watch this helicopter land and run out with all this movie equipment, like movie studio equipment. And they're like, what in the world is going on? And then here comes Dr. Crop <laughs> asking to record it with all this equipment. And they're like, oh my God. So I always said that that was like the craziest thing that they encountered while they were um, in Oklahoma City at OU waiting for my surgery to be them coming in there at about seven hours and with another six hours, five or six hours or something like that left. And so it was, a obviously I don't remember it because I was unconscious, but I'm sure it was extremely nerve wracking. And also I do remember the one thing I remember about that entire day 
is I got up for my surgery at like, they woke me up at like 5 a.m. And they, they were like, you want to ride in a wheelchair? I was like, no, I'll walk. And so I walked myself to the operating room, got on the table by myself and laid down. And I remember them telling me to count backwards from 100. And then that's it. Obviously, and I remember, honestly, I don't think I remember until like the next day or so, because I was really out of it. The day before my surgery at 11 was the worst day because they give you the co-light stuff to clean out your system. Yeah. Terrible. Worst thing I've ever, one of the worst things I've ever experienced in the hospital. And so mad crop. I, he, my mom tells me this. I don't necessarily remember it because they gave me out of van because they had to do tube and it was like very traumatic. So they did an NG tube. They gave me a little bit out of the doctor crop. I check on the system and like in the bathroom and he opened and make sure I was okay. And I just glared at him and said, leave me alone. Because <laughs> he, he was just trying to check on me. <laughs> yeah. But I was not in the mood to deal with it at that point. And I was like, yeah, I'm never very happy when I wake up from surgery. It's not a kind of Ativan or any kind of medication for my system. I get kind of grumpy. So <laughs> bless his heart. I felt bad when my mom told me that. So when I saw him after my surgery, and I apologized. I was like, I'm sorry if I was. And he just laughed. He's like, you're fine. <laughs> so he's very personable for sure. That's cute. So was that the last surgery that you've had? No, not, no, not exactly. It's my last big surgery that I've had to have. I have not had to have a revision, like knock on wood. You'll hear a lot of like the Southern phrases and things, <laughs> But no, I haven't had to have a major surgery. I had at 16 years old, I had kidney stones. I've been having kidney stones and they were getting stuck in my bladder because in my surgery, I have to, I have to cath. I have a super pubic stoma. And so I use a catheter um, through, it's kind of like surgery where they catheter their belly, but belly or their stomach. Mine's a little bit different. It's called an appendiviscostomy, <laughs> but always has a big name. But it's very similar, and it goes down and goes into my bladder, and then it just has the pressure from the the urine to to relieve itself. And right. so, because of that, the stones wouldn't come out, and they would get trapped at the bottom of my bladder, and so it would like grow to be bigger mm-hmm. because you know they would just kind of collect. And I could feel moving, and I kept telling my mom and my dad like. I feel something like moving like in there. I swear I'm not crazy. I really do. And then we went, I had a kidney stone and it was really bad. It made me really sick. I guess it got stuck in my ureter and I still had another one in my kidney. And so I had to have this sound wave thing on my kidney to blast the one in my kidney. And then they, the one in my ureter, they had to put a tube in to remove and they removed all, they had to cut like a small one inch in my bladder and remove all the stones. And it was something like 98 stones that had developed in there on top of the other ones. It was wow. Yeah, it, it's it's a, a record for sure. He tells me all the time I hold the record. So <laughs> like, I don't think that's the record I want to have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it was, that was the surgery. I had that at 16. I was a junior in high school. And I remember in high school, I remember them saying that I, I was out and in the hospital because I was having a baby (laughs) and I laugh at it. It was, even then I was like, y'all are ridiculous. I'm not having a baby. I had kidney stones, (laughs) but teenagers have to make something up, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. And I think I think uh, right after I got married. So I may have been like the year that I got married and I got pregnant. And yeah, so I didn't think that I could get pregnant. So it was a topic and it ruptured and I bled out for two days. Oh, and I, cause I didn't know what I thought I had food poisoning or something. Cause it made, obviously I was physically dying <laughs> literally. Yeah. And so I was throwing up and like, like you do when you're dying. And I was very sick and I ended up going to the hospital here in Tulsa and a doctor who didn't know anything about bladder extrophy or anything about the way I'm set up or anything was like, well, we need to do emergency surgery, but I don't know anything about your, your system or what, or how it's set up, but I'm just going to cut you open and move things around and look around in there and see what's going on. And I was like, um, I don't think so. (laughs) So apparently my mom got in touch uh, with Dr. Crop and Dr. Crop threatened to sue the crap out of her. if She touched me. (laughs) I mean, it was, yeah, he's pretty protective. I mean, obviously he could, they could have really damaged everything and that I had had done before. And she, she did not elicit a lot of like, confidence in her abilities because the way she brought it up to us was like well I don't know anything about it or what I'm gonna do but I think I'll just cut you open and look around and figure stuff out I don't think so so that's pretty terrifying they were going to life flight me to Oklahoma City to go to be for Dr. Crop was but it was icing like it was a little bit icy that night because it's in the winter and I had to go in an ambulance because they had to be, be giving me blood the whole time. So what I remember really well about that drive was they were listening to Carrie Underwood's very first album. Oh, my God. And, so, and they were all singing and like checking on me and make sure I was OK. They were like, you like Carrie Underwood? I'm like, sure. Yeah. And I do. But it was just like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I like right now. I'm too sick to care. <laughs> so made it and had that taken care of. They took the ectopic pregnancy out and they actually had to remove that side on my fallopian tube. And so that was my last big surgery. I had a little procedure done, I think last year, where they just checked my stoma to make sure that it was still doing good and in good health. But it was really like a 30 minute procedure. They did. They just knocked me out and checked it and said, okay, it looks pretty good. You know, you're taking care of it well, because most people, from what I understand, have a revision, like a full revision surgery every 10 to 12 years. And mine is going on, well, I'm 34 and I've not had anything fixed on it because I'm super gentle and I try to be, I don't push or shove my cat, make my catheters go in. I really try to be as careful as I possibly can be so that I don't have to have another surgery. And that seems to be the ticket because I haven't had to have any, I just had to change my catheters. Whenever I start having trouble cathing, they, they give me a different type of catheter to, to help me be able to cath. So that seems to be the best thing that's helped. And at the time that they checked my stoma, I was having trouble cathing. And it was just that <laughs> Dr. Crop, he's so funny. He goes, well, you're just getting older and gravity's pulling on it. So we need to change you to a QA catheter. I'm like, well, thanks, Dr. Crop, for telling me I'm old. I appreciate that. <laughs> he's a he's a pediatric doctor, so I'm probably ancient for him. <laughs> That's, wow. So do, can you feel when you have to go or do you go on a schedule? <sighs> okay, so it's kind of weird I can sort of feel it, but it's not like, you know how they'll say, I have a tingle or like a little bit of pressure. Mine's almost like it gets painful pressure and it's, it's not a tingle. It's more just like I can feel it really pressing maybe on 
other things possibly, but it's not, it's not a normal feeling. And so I try to go every four to six hours or more often if I can, obviously catheters are extremely expensive. So, and I don't, I can't reuse because of the type that I have. So I try to go every four to six hours if, if possible. And I don't try to wait till I can really fill it because at that point it's really full. So I've been getting better about that as I've gotten older and gotten more responsible. Um, (laughs) But I have had it before where I could not get my catheter and I thought that they were going to have to go through my bladder wall because I have no emergency release valve at all to let anything out or release pressure. There's no way to to do that. So they'd have to take the big syringe and needle and go through my abdominal wall. Yeah, that's... I hope that that never has to happen, but I am glad that's an option in case it ever does. Cause I don't want to rupture. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you've never had like a, a blockage or anything like that where you like really couldn't get the catheter in. I have had bl- like it blocked or like closed off because of pressure in my bladder okay. and what they, they took a wire, like this little wire thing and got it to go into my bladder. And it's weird because I can't feel necessarily when I have to pee like normal, but when I put my catheter in, I can feel that it's in and I can feel that it's in the right spot. And like, it's so interesting because of how it's like, you wouldn't think that you'd be able to fill these things, but I could feel where I need to go with the catheter when I'm putting it in, you know, the angle that I need to go into and things like that. Cause it's a coup day. So it's got a little curve on it. And so I, I make sure the curves go in the right direction. But at this point, I had not gotten the newest version of the catheter that I have now. This was two years ago over Christmas. I couldn't get my catheter to work. And I was just continuously having this issue. And I would have to wear a catheter, a Foley catheter for, I want to say two or three days is what they had me wear it for to make, to like help the stoma to kind of like resettle. And so I'd wear that and I'd just have it plugged and like take the plug out whenever I had to empty. And so I would do it like that. Well, whenever the catheter would come out, I was continuing to have the same problem though, because the catheters just weren't getting enough like lubrication on them basically. And so they, they gave me the ones that have the hydrophilic catheters and those seem to be working great right now, which is fantastic. But whenever it got really blocked, instead of going through my abdominal wall, which I thought that they were going to have to do because nothing was working and I was in excruciating pain. I also have reflux whenever I get really full and it starts to, I can't cath, it'll reflux back into my kidneys, reflux, there we go, back into my kidneys. And that is one of the most painful things I've ever felt. It is, it is near as painful as a kidney stone. It is right up there with it. Yeah. It is not fun at all. So I'm refluxing and they, they got this wire and then they took, once I got the wire in there and I was like, it's in, it's in. I told them like, I could feel it. And he was like, how do you know? And I'm like, because I can feel it. <laughs> Cause it wasn't, it was a doctor here in Tulsa that was doing it. He's a urologist, Dr. Saint in Tulsa. He's fantastic. He's the go-to guy in town when I can't make it to Oklahoma city, which is great. And so he took the catheter and cut the tip off the catheter, a really, really small one and put it right over the wire and guided it into my bladder and then it was able to come out and I was able to empty and that's been I have those emergency supplies at home and I take them with me on vacation trips things like that just in case something crazy happens and I can't get the catheter in especially when we've gone out of the country that's always a scary 
you know, prospect is, am I even going to be able to get to a doctor if needed type of thing? So I always make sure I have my, all my equipment and emergency supplies just in case I have to do something like that myself. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. What, what do you usually have like in your little emergency supplies kit? I have a catheter, the little metal wire. I don't know what it's called, but it's the length of a catheter. I need to look that up. I can't remember what they're, they have a fancy name, I'm sure. But it's just a really thin, flexible wire. And I have that. I have um, the, and it goes from like a, I want to say a level six or size six, very small, all the way up to the size that I have every day, which I believe is a 14 French um coude catheter and so i have those to try a smaller version if say it gets a little bit pressure blocked because i've never had a stone luckily get stuck in there or anything and block it but I've, I've just had pressure blocks where my bladder's too full and i can't get the catheter to go past a pressure block so i've been lucky in the sense that it's not ever been blocked up so far that there's no way to get around it yeah because that that could be very bad I've also heard that like mucus can sometimes build up and create blockages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so my bladder was very large naturally, which is not normal, like 800 cc's or something like that when I was 11, which was large. And they were very surprised by that. <laughs> yeah. And so I didn't have to have an augmentation whenever they did my bladder reconstruction. So mm-hmm. I don't have... I do have my appendix, which does produce a little bit of mucus, but not as much as like if I had to have the piece of bowel on top as well. So that's why it's not a metrophenoff. That's why that's the appendiviscostomy is because it doesn't have the augmentation, I guess. That's the only thing that makes it different. different. So it is an interesting to look at it on a diagram. He showed me the difference one day because I was asking like, what's the difference in those two things? And he said, with the augmentation and the metrophenoff, the way that they go into the bladder is a little bit, the angle is a little bit different. And then also they have to augment the bladder with a little bit of bowel. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So mine does not have that extra part. And I just go straight down from my belly button into my bladder. Okay. Okay. Cool. So Thanks. Yeah. I've always yeah. wondered too what the difference was. So <laughs> very, very small difference, but I guess it makes a big difference in the amount of mucus and amount of like contaminants that can get in there. Because I know that I used to have to, oh, what is it where you put the fluid in there? I haven't done it in so long. I can't remember what it's called. Irrigate. Yes. Thank you. I, I haven't done it since I was like 15. So I used to have to irrigate a lot, but I haven't had to do that because I'm really good about emptying my bladder all the way. And so I just do it if I ever feel like I need to, like I'll be able to fill if there's anything in there and then I'll irrigate really well. But for the most part, I am able to completely empty and I don't have as much mucus. So I'm able to get a lot of that mucus out just normally. And that makes a big a big difference with the irrigation and not because that always gave me horrible bladder spasms. Oh. And that's, so I hated doing it. (laughs) So being able to not need it as often is, was lucky for me because it, it's the worst, those bladder spasms, they'd almost make me feel like, like I had to pee like constantly and, and, or have that pressure constantly and it wouldn't go away. And so I also 
found out after a while, they asked me why, if I was having bladder spasm, I wasn't taking the medication they gave, gave me for it. And I was like, well, because it makes me feel like my throat is thick and like, I can't really breathe very well. And they were like, oh, you're allergic to that. You're literally having anaphylaxis. <laughs> Don't take that. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, okay. I'm not going to take that. So luckily I didn't take it very often because I could have had full anaphylactic, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it was like, I didn't feel like an allergic reaction anywhere else. It was just like my throat would get really thick filling and like I, I would feel like it would make it a little bit hard to swallow and, and breathe a little bit, but not to the point of fear or any other allergy reactions at all. So, but they're like, that's still an allergic reaction. So yeah, still a problem. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So you're the first person I've talked to then that doesn't really have to irrigate their bladder anymore. So I think that's really interesting. I probably should do it more, but I don't have nearly the amount of, I haven't had stones or mucus issues since I was 16 and had that problem with the stones. And I felt like when I was irrigating, I don't think that I was doing it very well um, (laughs) or like the right way completely. Because when I was doing it, I think that there would be fluid left in there, like water from the the irrigation solution would be left in there a little bit. And it would grab the side of the catheter would grab the side of my bladder and it would just hurt so bad. So I'd pull it out and be like, oh, I can't keep going and <laughs> get frustrated and and stop. And I think that that contributed to issues that were going on with the stones because the salt and everything in the in the saline. And so it was worse for me to do that than it was to not and to only do it when I needed to do it and just to really focus on emptying completely. And once I got out of high school and I didn't feel like I had to rush to go to the bathroom, I started emptying 100% at all times. And then I did not have the amount of stone and, and kidney or bladder stone issues that I was having when I was younger and in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can you tell us like how all of this affected like school and friends and the social yeah. thing, I guess, because I mean, anything medical really does affect every aspect of our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I was little in an elementary school, I was terrified to tell people I had a locker in the bathroom. They put a like a brown, old, ugly locker in the girls' bathroom on a cabinet in the like the handicap stall. And so it was like a little table with this big locker on it, with a lock on it. They put my stuff in there. Well, then everybody's like, why do you have a locker? Why do you have a lock? So it's like, oh gosh, can we make it a little bit more like noticeable? Because at that point I had to wear pull-ups or like pads or something like that because I didn't have my, didn't have myself fixed yet. And I would leak because of the fistula. They could never figure out why I couldn't get my bladder under control or have any kind of control at all. And it was because there was a fistula that they didn't know about. And so eventually... I was in like, I want to say second grade and it got really bad. Like there was a lot of teasing going on and somebody had broken into the locker and they were making fun of me because I wore quote diapers and stuff. And so, I mean, it was just got really bad there for a little while. So I guess I came home crying a few times and my counselor, I went to a very small school, which was very helpful. So like one first grade class, one second grade class, one, I mean, very small. So what we did, what my mom decided to do after talking with the counselor was she brought every female in the sixth grade in fifth and sixth grade, I think, and brought them in to the library 
And my mom came in and told them the entire story about what was going on. And they were crying and they were like, I mean, you know, girls obviously have a little bit more of a heart sometimes, <laughs> sometimes we can also be catty, but in this case, they were very protective. And some of them have known me my whole life and didn't know about that because uh, they, their parents grew up with my parents. And so they, they were very protective anyways, because they were like family friends. And they were the same age as my brother. And so I have an older brother that's six years older than me. So they would be very protective of me. So once we told the fifth and sixth graders about it at my school, if anybody said anything, the fifth and sixth graders would just like say, say it, say it again, I'll pummel you, <laughs> you know, or anything like that. And they got to be very protective. And so then we brought in, decided, okay, well, we should probably just tell all the girls because, you know, and not the boys, because the boys, it's just a lot for a young boy. We didn't want parents to feel, you know, any type of way and, and girls can be a little bit more understanding. So we brought all the girls in, told all the girls. And then that really in elementary school, it dealt with the bullying and issues and problems that came from that, which was great until about middle school. And then in middle school, we moved, which was horrible. <laughs> and so I moved to a new school, but I also had my surgery to get my catheters and everything. And so everything went pretty well for about a, a year. And then somehow somebody got a hold of some of the catheters or something. And I don't remember exactly how it happened, but they they ended up like being like, what is this? And like shoving it at me and stuff and like trying to, I don't know, make a big deal out of it. And so I ended up just telling those people about it and we got to be good friends. And actually one of them that I ended up telling them, telling her about it, she is still my friend today, but they were like, you don't have to keep that a secret. Like it's not that big of a deal. And, but then it, I was like, okay, I guess it's not that big of a deal. And I would be a little bit more open about it. High school, I didn't, it wasn't that bad. My high school was pretty big. So it was like everybody had their own like groups. So there wasn't really like groups of kids you had to be worried they were popular or anything like that, where, you know, how you see in the TV and movies, it wasn't really that kind of a school. So I just had my group of friends and, and they were very close to me and they all hung out with me and they would take care of me. They would keep catheters in their car for me. And, you know, they were very, very, very close group. Even the guys, even guys in our friends group would do the same. And, you know, I, I wasn't super open about it. I didn't feel like everybody needed to know unless I was even friends with you. Like if I didn't know you, I wasn't just going to tell you right. back then. I look back and think, oh, that was silly. I should just say, I should have just said it. Like I shouldn't have been ashamed because there's nothing to be ashamed of. I didn't do anything. But, you know, the last thing a teenage girl wants to be is different. You just want to be normal, you know, and you just want to fit in. And so that was really almost my fear made it worse than what it really would have been to just be like, oh yeah, I bought our extra fee. Yeah, look it up or whatever. <laughs> so that was the the easiest time, which is funny because high school you would think would be the worst. But once I got out of middle school, it was got to be very easy. Then by the time I was a, the end of my senior year and into college, I would just tell everybody. I just didn't. I just kind of didn't care anymore. I guess what you thought. Like if you didn't like me, guess what? I don't care. Good for you. Have a nice day. I don't care. You know, I kind of got to be in that that perspective. So once I got to that point. I started to tell everybody and the effect on my relationship with most people, with most people actually were like, that's so cool. That's so interesting. They really liked to like learn about it because it is something that's rare and different. And, and it's interesting to a lot of people. 
I had not had a single issue with any kind of bullying or, or problems until about a year ago, actually, which is weird as in a 33 at that time, 33 year old adult. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you would think that it would not be an issue, but <laughs> I had an issue with this girl who we're in the same friends group, but her and I, I don't know. I guess we just kind of got off on the wrong foot. I don't know. I just think that she was kind of like off putting to me a little bit in a way because she was always very, very like harsh and would say things. And I would just be like, Oh, okay. You know how some people don't think before they say things. Yeah. Well, she was definitely one of those people, but they would not just be whatever was on her mind. She would say really mean things. And so it's like, Oh, okay. Or, or, point out your flaws or whatever it may be and not in a not in a nice way not like hey honey you got something in your teeth but be like girl are you stupid you got something in your teeth like she was very she's very rude (laughs) so her and I just did not get along we could not figure that out so we're in the same kind of group and we're sitting there talking in a big group at like a get-together actually it was last not this past Thanksgiving but the year before at Thanksgiving and it was a called Friendsgiving and so we're all sitting there and it's all the wives and girlfriends and we're just talking and it's a so- my husband's on a softball team. So that's how we all know each other through softball. And the softball team's all sitting there talking and, stuff, and somehow we got on the topic of potty training our children. And I was like, yeah, I would not have been able to potty train Trey by myself because I would not even know where to begin to tell him what to feel or what to do or what, cause I didn't go through that. And so we're sitting there, we're talking about that. And then they're like, well, what, why? And so I told them that I had bladder extrophy. And so then I had a hole in my bladder. And so I had to wear pull-ups until I was like 10, whenever I got surgery. So I've never felt it really like in a normal person. And so anyway, by the end of that conversation, she says to me, we're talking about something and diapers. She goes, yeah, it's really hard to tell your child not to wear diapers when you do. And I really wanted to punch her, but I was in her house. So I refrained and I was like, I was like, oh, nice. Yeah. Classy is all I said. And I just rolled my eyes and walked away. And I guess all the other girls were like, what are you saying? Like, you know, kind of got on her about it or whatever. And everybody was very like, "Uh, okay. I told my husband about it when we left there because I was really upset. Like it really like just made me angry. I was like, I'm ready to go. (laughs) You know, I'm like, I'm done. I'm ready to go. I don't care what else is going on. Let's get out of here. And so I told him about it and he was like, (laughs) he's trying to keep the peace. He's like, I think you maybe misheard or misunderstood. Uh -uh. No, no, I think I would know if I misheard or misunderstood. And so he's just trying to keep the peace because it's his friend's group and softball team, blah, blah. So later on down the road, I won't go to any of the things that she's going to be at because I'm not going to be around somebody like that. And so in, I'm going to say it was this past, like late spring, early summer, finally, it came down to a conversation between Dot, her husband and my husband, Donnie. And basically she told her husband and Donnie both that, yeah, she said it. And Donnie was just like, why would you say something like that? Like, what is wrong with you? And she's like, well, I just didn't realize that it was that mean like okay whatever you know she had to make up some kind of excuse so she ended up apologizing and this was actually my mom passed away in April which I I think I told you about but this was probably I think she quote apologized before my mom passed away then my mom passed away and that sort of like kind of mended the relationship and then she went through something very traumatic with her family member passing away as well and so 
I like scent flowers and stuff just because that's the type of person I try to be. <laughs> Even though I was like, mm, I'm begrudgingly sending you flowers. <laughs> but you know, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> and that went a long way to mending the relationship. It's still not perfect because, you know, you can't take back your words, but it's a lot better than it was, you know, a year, a little over a year ago where I was literally not going to be around her or we were going to end up fighting. <laughs> yeah. So and I'm not like I'm a I can be kind of spicy, but it takes a lot to make me that angry to where I'm just ready to, you know, yeah. go off right then. And like when I get really mad, I'll cry. And in the truck, I was crying, but I wasn't like crying because I was sad. I was crying because I was so angry. So as an adult, I've had that encounter once with people and it infected our our friend group a lot because if they were going, I didn't want to go. And Bonnie was like, well if you're not going to go, then I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And so it kind of like made this whole awkward, like triangle type of thing in the friends group. So that's yeah. getting better now, but it was still pretty, pretty dramatic of a, of an issue to say the least. Yeah. I mean, that just kind of blew up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there's no reason to say something like that to anybody. No, no, not at all. That's just ignorance and not really understanding and not caring to understand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and trying, I think she was trying to be sarcastic, like funny or something, but it, it wasn't, it was, it was just well, straight up mean. And if, if you're not like super close friends with someone, mm-hmm. you know, making a funny joke about their medical problem probably isn't the best way to go about it <laughs> right yeah definitely not and it wouldn't have been funny anyways because it was like a hurtful right. it was like a oh you you can't potty train your kid because you don't know how, you're not potty trained type of a thing is how I took it yeah. and it's like oh okay I'm I bet you you'll pee your pants before I will hmm. yeah. <laughs> you know type of a thing because I can't but it was just like one of those things that was very shady of her to say and our, like I said, our relationship is better now, but it's definitely not something that I will forget. So I'm def- I'm not going to be opening up to her about anything that has to do with my birth defect or any type of medical issues at all, because why would I? Yeah. You've clearly proven to me that you can't handle that. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. And so, so are you still a teacher? You teach kids? I am still a teacher. I'm doing it in a little bit of a different way now. So for, oh gosh, eight years, for eight years, I was trying to count. (laughs) And for eight years, I was an in-the-classroom teacher, face-to-face. I taught middle and high school English. Yeah. And it was mostly, mostly middle schoolers. It was really... I loved it, which is crazy. I was scared of middle schoolers at first. I wanted to teach high school, but I found that the middle schoolers are actually a lot better than the high schoolers are just because high schoolers just don't care about adults and aren't still have no fear really of adults or, or respect for them anymore until they get past that, like that stage in their life. Um, And then with middle schoolers, especially like sixth, seventh, grade and the beginning of eighth grade, they're still respectful of adults in a lot of ways, still have that reservation of getting in trouble matters and things. So that that's very a positive thing as a teacher. I love teaching in the classroom, but it did become the last year became a real problem on my health because of one of the things with teachers is we don't get to go to the bathroom. 
you just can't leave the room to go to the bathroom. And so if I needed to go to the restroom, it was an issue. I couldn't get, we were at the school. The school was just a toxic environment because instead of making it a team environment where everybody was working together, they made it where it was a competition. So this class against the other class and whose students are going to do better. And it was just a really bad situation there. And so they would not watch your classroom to let you go to the bathroom because it was a competition environment. It was a very bad thing. So that was my last year in the in the public school, we call it brick and mortar in the online school. So I started teaching online school and I did that for about three years, four, four I'm sorry, four years. <laughs> it all blurs together. So I taught online school for four years. And then this past year, after my mom passed away, I was like, I really think I need a break from being in the public education sector. There was just so much other things going on in outside the involvement from politics and everything. So it just kind of got to be overwhelming in a, in a lot of ways. So I decided I wanted a break and I started looking for another job sort of outside of teaching. I guess I would say like maybe working for a textbook company or making curriculum for a corporate company, something like that. And I ended up finding a job with the Boy Scouts, the Boy Scouts of America in Oklahoma. And it is, they have this thing called Scout Reach. And in the Scout Reach program, we go to underprivileged schools and we teach the scouting program, like Cub Scouts to elementary school students. And so I'm creating the curriculum. I'm getting design it all, make all the using what they have for their like den or packs and turning it into where we work into a classroom. So they choose the students get a choice to either go to their specials class or come to scouts. And it's a lot of fun. And I have a staff of four teachers that work for me. And so it's been like a leadership role. And it's also been very freeing because it got rid of all the stressful sides of teaching. And now I just get to focus on all the fun sides. So it's been really positive, really positive. I'm loving it. They, if you, something great happens, like I got a balloon the other day, I walked in on Monday morning, we'd reached a goal or something. And I came in and there was a balloon that said, congratulations, just stuck to my chair. And and that really matters because for the past four years, I had been really stressed out about that. Like there's no celebrations of anything good or or the bad stuff is all that anybody ever notices. They'll, they're just literally would nitpick at everything and, and any great thing that would happen would not be celebrated. And so that was one of the biggest morale killers at the school that I was at. So having a, a company or a environment that's really positive has been fantastic. And I can go to the bathroom whenever I need to. Which is great as well. Because <laughs> then it don't have to affect my health. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Do you think that teaching kids has also kind of enabled you to teach them more sensitivity and kind of a kindness around medical issues as well? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I don't talk in detail about it with my students. I don't go in all the nitty gritties, but I definitely tell them I have no, no concern with telling them, oh yeah, it's born with water extra fee and I had surgery and this and that. And, you know, I was a sick kid and I had to be out of school a lot. And I would just talk to them about different things whenever we'd have the opportunity or something would come up where people would be going through something and just using it to say, hey, you know, 
I was that kid that was having issues that you guys are looking at as being weird or different, or you don't understand it. Well, why don't you ask them about it? Just say, Hey, what's going on? Or, or I'll tell them, you know, if you approach it in a nice way and you're really curious, they're going to talk to you. And then also with the kids that were going through some kind of medical issue or have some kind of, like I had a lot of students that had diabetes and they'd have to wear the, the pump, you know, and a lot of kids would be like, why are you wearing that? What is that? And they would be afraid to talk about it. And I would say, Hey, you know, they're just curious. I know that it comes off like abrasive or like they're like belittling you in a way. I don't think that's what they mean. I think that they're just really curious and they don't understand. And I said, I told one student, I was like, it's, it shouldn't be your job to educate them about what's going on with you because they should just be kind no matter what. However, you have the opportunity to educate them about this so that they learn to be kind from now on about it. And so then that student, like, cause that student was actually crying. She was really upset because I guess somebody, one of her friends had said something mean. And I said, well, why don't you tell your friend that it hurt your feelings? I know that takes a lot of courage. And her friend came over and she told her friend and they both ended up crying because <laughs> she didn't realize I hurt her feelings. Oh. And so she cried. Like they, she was just curious. She was just truly, you know, unsure but it's funny because a lot of times as kids we think people are being mean to us about whatever's different but really they're just trying to figure it out or trying to understand it and we just feel so singled out because we're different and so that has been something when I was in brick and mortar schools that was a huge a huge benefit I feel like to to be able to help the students to do that type of learning that's a, a life lesson beyond just learning reading and writing yeah yeah and so to expand on that why do you think normalizing bodily differences among kids like at a young age is so important i think that with if you can get them to realize that being different is normal and that nobody is actually normal they will be so much more understanding throughout their life. And also they'll feel less whenever, because everybody goes through something, right? Everybody has something. You may not go through it for until you're an older teenager. Maybe you go through it when you're young, but everybody has something. So whenever they go through that, they will hopefully feel like, okay, I'm not weird, strange, and different. I'm not alone in this. Everybody has something going on with them. So I would also say that all the time, like you just never know what battles people are fighting when they're not in front of you. So you need to be kind to everybody. And so we we would have discussions about that. But I really hope that that's something that I've I've been able to teach all of my students and get to continue to teach through my staff now. And when I go into the schools, we talk a lot about that <laughs> and that feeling of, okay, I'm different, but I'm not really different because everybody's different is unifying in a sense and really helps them to feel like they are, are not so alone in the world. Cause that's a really big problem with a lot of youth today is feeling like they have no one or that they're too different to connect with anybody. And it's just, it's hard <laughs> when you're, when they're teenagers. Every teenager, like young teenager thinks everybody is looking at me. Everybody sees everything about me that I see about me. So, you know, every little flaw, everybody sees it. But really, all those other teenagers are so focused on their own little flaw that they have and that they're thinking everybody sees with them, but they don't even see your flaw. They're just thinking about their own flaw, but they don't realize it when they're young. <laughs> so I tried to tell my son that my, my son that when he was like 13 and he was just like, oh, whatever, mom. <laughs> but it, it's the truth. You just you're so focused on yourself. You don't notice anything about other people. 
And then they're so focused on their self, they don't notice about you. So if you just focus on the good on everybody, it won't be that big of a deal anymore. Awesome. I love that. And so I also like reading from your Courage to Shine page. I loved reading about your outlook of like telling everybody about your bladder extrophy. Can you just tell us a little bit more about why you're so outspoken about that? So the story that kind of got me talking about that with a lot of people is that I was, when I was in college, I was working my way through college by being a CNA or a certified nursing assistant. And so as a CNA, I would go in and get to like help and be basically a nurse in a sense without medication to patients in the hospital after surgeries and things because I worked at surgical hospital. Well, one woman that really inspired me to start just talking to people about it was she had a surgery and it was a colonoscopy or colon colonoscopy, colon colostomy. Oh, there we go. Sorry, colostomy, and she was supposed to get it reversed, but she wasn't able to get it reversed because her intestines was not strong enough, or, or something had happened. Well, she was not going to eat; she was just going to give up on life. She just, you know, had was done because she was going to have to have this bag, and she just felt like, oh well, nobody can do this, and type of thing. So I went into her room. Somebody told me about it, and so we switched patients with another tech because they had her and they're like, she won't eat and stuff. And I was like, well, let me give it a try. <laughs> and so I went in there and I got to talking and I was like, what's wrong? You know, and I let her tell me her whole story and everything. And I was like, oh yeah. And I was like, yeah. I said, well, let me tell you about me if, if you're cool with it. And she's like, yeah, absolutely. And I told her how I was born. I told her that I have to cath every day and that, you know, sometimes I have to wear a ba- a leg bag or something like that. And that, you know, I, I do this all the time and like, I'm never going to ha- get it reversed. I'm, it's never going to be different. I've been doing it like this since I was 11. And before that I had to wear diapers in basically middle school. And so she's just staring at me like, you know, really thinking to herself, which she told me afterwards, like, I'm being a baby, (laughs) you know, I'm being a big old baby about this. And so she really, she was like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm being so doom and gloom. There's millions of people that are going through things that are worse or or that are not nearly as bad or as as easy as what I'm going to be dealing with. I was like, yeah, this is nothing. You're going to be fine. You're going to become a pro at this within no time. Nobody's going to know unless you want them to. You don't have to say anything to anybody. It's nothing. She's like, well, I don't think I can play golf. And I was like, why? And she's like, well, because I was like, I said, girl, lift your pants over it. Nobody cares. Nobody's going to know. Like, put your pants over it, you know, because it was like lower on her stomach. And she's like, you think so? I'm like, absolutely. I think so. And so by the time I had told her about everything and we had talked, I was in there for way too long, (laughs) but they knew what I was doing. And she was like, I think I'm ready to order some food. And so she started eating again and and got a more positive outlook. I'm going to get emotional. Sorry. It made me feel like, okay, this isn't a problem. It's a gift. It's definitely a gift because it's able a way to help others. Yeah. Sorry. I told you I'm emotional this year. (laughs) It's It's been a rough year. It's definitely a gift. It, you know, it's got hard days, but it's a way that you can inspire people to not take what they have for granted. Yeah. Because so many people take their health for granted and take their problems for granted and they just don't think outside of themselves. And it's hard on a day-to-day basis to think outside of yourself. I, I'm guilty of that as well, but 
it is just something that I really see as a gift rather than a problem. Because growing up, we always called it my problem, you know, the problem, just because we didn't know what else to say, and, you know, butter extra fees a lot for a little kid. So, but then I just started calling it my gift, you know, the gift, because it really is. And whenever you're sharing and you're able to help people to value what they have. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, I got emotional. I knew I would. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. I I love all of that. <laughs> all of it. Well, is there anything that I have missed that you would like to talk about or share about um, experience with bladder extrophy and kids and your, your whole thing? Well, I just basically with the bladder extrophy and everything, I feel like whenever I was dating and starting to date and get interested in boys, which I feel like I was interested in boys since birth, which is what my mom would have told you. <laughs> Boy crazy forever. That was definitely something that I was afraid to tell somebody was interested in. But I, anybody that I did tell never had an issue with it. They were just like, oh, okay, cool. And then we'll just move right on, <laughs> you know, like it wasn't a big deal. And it's still not a, a big deal. My husband helps me to take care of it. And he just is a great, he does a great job at helping, making me take care of myself in a sense, like are you drinking water <laughs> and stuff like that. So I know that a lot of people probably feel like if they're dating somebody or, or in a relationship with somebody that they may not want to say anything up, like and tell them about it. But I feel like if... It only needs to be a secret and secretive if you want it to be a secret. But if you feel like that, if you're keeping it a secret because it's something bad or negative, it's not. It's nothing negative, nothing bad. It's nothing that you did wrong. So I just want everybody to know that if you have bladder extrophy and you're, you're feeling like it's a problem, just know that it's really not. It's, it's a, it's a blessing in disguise. And as you go through these things, think of them as a way to use them to inspire and make the world a better place um, as you grow up, because that's what you're going to end up doing. Everybody I know, even, even you, you know, I'm getting to know, can you talk to you? You're using it in such a positive way by talking with people and spreading this message. And so everybody that I know that has water extrophy in some way or form is out making the world a better place. And I think that is definitely something that we all have in common. And it's something that children will be able to look forward to and that they can start doing immediately. And parents can can look at it as a as a blessing that they're going to get to have a child with water extra fee. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much all of that. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on the show so much and sharing your story. There was a lot to unpack there. <laughs> Oh, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So 34 years <laughs> of all of it. That's a so lot. Like, while, I guess. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Body Talk with Bex. I hope you enjoyed jumping back in with me into weekly episodes and enjoyed meeting Brittany as much as I did. 
please leave me a review and hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this podcast at and please share it with your friends if you have any more questions for me please feel free to send them to me i will be stockpiling them until i have enough for another ask me anything episode If you want to further support this podcast, please join me on Patreon. And I, at the end of this month, I will be announcing the details about the new Patreon tier features. Lastly, if you would like to share your story or know someone who would, I can be contacted through my website, www.bodytalkwithbex.com or on social media. Thank you so much for listening, everyone.